Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Shoot Mark and Sarah talk about Shoot Mark and Sarah talk about Shoot Mark and Sarah talk about Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. It is episode 56, and as we approach Mother's Day, and very happy Mother's Day to all the moms and kids, and even you pet moms in our listenership, Mark has brought us a theme for that holiday. Mark, tell us what we are talking about today. Okay, today I am very excited to say that our theme is pop songs about single moms. And one of the reasons I love it is because it's pop songs about single moms who have no pops. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So really, (laughs) how this all started, Sarah, is that a few weeks ago, you might remember that one of the songs we're going to be discussing today was briefly my choice for the episode that eventually became about RuPaul and Todrick Hall, which, by the way, I stand by that choice one billion percent. Oh, God, so do I. But I didn't want to let this other song go, and then I started to think about how what I really like about the song is how it relates to this question of how is single motherhood represented in popular song, and how has that representation changed? And I thought, well, gosh, Mark, you're talking yourself into a themed episode. Well, gosh, Mark, Mother's Day is right around the corner. Well, gosh, Mark, everything was meant to be. It's all come together so perfectly. Pet moms! And then here we are. <laughs> so Well said. Um, Thank you. What I've specifically done is selected four songs, three of which were massive hits, and the fourth uh, was noteworthy for a reason that we'll discuss later, and they all deal with single motherhood in one way or another, and I'd love for us to talk about each song on its own merits, because I actually think all of these songs do have merit, but I'm also really interested to discuss the arc of the conversation about single motherhood in our culture that these songs seem to be tracing, if you will accept my larger premise. Uh, so, uh, oui. yeah, I shall. Lovely. Well, so to kick things off, I feel like we should start uh, with the 1968 number one single by Diana Ross and the Supremes, Love Child. And before we get started, I'll just throw you a few fun facts about this song. It was the 11th of 12 number one hits for the Supremes. It was the first number one hit under the newly retitled Diana Ross and the Supremes. And it does not actually feature the voices of any of the Supremes except Diana Ross. It was recorded without the other two ladies, which is just so indicative of what was going on with Diana Ross's career at the time. <laughs> where It was like, I let y'all show up, but guess what, boo-boo? It's me. Take the check um, and have a seat in the hall. Exactly right. And I might send you a juice box unless I get thirsty. <laughs> but uh, the other thing that was noticeable about yeah. Love Child is that the Supremes had been having sort of a chart lag for a bit. And a team of writers was brought in and they created this song, which was the first major song that the Supremes released as a single or one of the first that was not just about romance. And instead, we get the following, and let's hear a clip from this sordid tale. Oh, 
Yes, girl. To me, one of Diana Ross's most exciting vocals in any of their hit songs. And interesting that a song this catchy is about how this woman doesn't want to have sex with her boyfriend because she doesn't want to conceive a love child because she grew up as the child of a single mother and it was hell on earth. So, I'm, you know, it just very much tells you where uh, the moral judgment has been cast, but also so, so hot, this song. Sarah, what are your thoughts? Well, here's the weird thing about this song. Uh, and maybe you can tell me a little bit about Diana Ross's actual childhood background, but the song lyrically, like the lyrics and the music don't quite match up for me. Uh, not that everything always has to be, like, not that heavy topics always have to be, like, a sort of largo pace. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And also, I think, as the Liz Fair conversation, we were sort of talking about that there as well. Yes, exactly. Uh, and there's another song you picked where, for whatever reason, um, the, like, the beat and the pace of the song and the subject, like the pairing worked for me because it was not necessarily intuitive. Um, Mm, mm -hmm. So that doesn't exactly work for me here. And it feels a little bit, the result is that it feels a little bit um, insincere to me, Mm. but like it is a really hot break, but there, there's also something like off-putting about Diana Ross to me generally that sometimes <laughs> like my first assumption is always going to be like, well, you, now you're just like trolling. Like now you're just like concerned trolling yourself. Like, so, which is like, I'm sure it's totally unfair. Um, or maybe it isn't. Uh, but I do like... I like the Supremes or Diana Ross and the Supremes, like late sixties output more almost than the stuff that sort of made them super famous to begin with, because their like journey into the late sixties and the changing landscape of pop and of like the culture and, you know, anti-war the anti-war movement and the craziness of the late sixties versus the relatively, you know, fifties ness of the early sixties mm-hmm. is super interesting to me. And I think they had the perfect voices and perspective as women of color, uh, to like glide overall, as they say, and kind of, and kind of change and evolve with, the music and the culture. Right. Uh, So that's always super interesting to me, but um, this song, yeah, like I just wish that this song had slowed down like half a, half a step. Do Mm. you know what I mean? Because it, it sounds like she's just firing out these lyrics that she's not necessarily, it it doesn't seem quite felt. You know, I think that's a totally fair argument. And given the fact that this song was created because Barry Gordy demanded that they provide a hit to the Supremes. And from what I understand in my reading, basically locked the songwriters in a hotel room and said, you, <laughs> oh. you guys cannot come out of here until we've got a number one single. And make it a I, message song because it's 1968 and we're not fucking around in here. Yeah. And I feel like because there were so many specific made-to-order ingredients here that the, the fact that it turned out as good as it did is just a testament to the bizarre occult magic of the Motown sound at that time. But I think you're absolutely right. It is not 
And in fact, I don't think of Diana Ross as ever releasing a song that is truly felt somehow. Partially, I think it's because her voice is so thin that yeah. I don't know that I can believe in it. But yeah, I feel like yeah. she is such a product. She, to me, is almost one of the best examples of how you can just be a pure popular music product and still be satisfying. Uh-huh. Like, Diana Ross never tried to do Lemonade the way that Mm-mm. Beyonce did. Diana Ross never did the Like a Prayer moment. Would never, she never, would never have occurred to her. Would never no. have occurred to her. Like, Diana Ross is one of her most human moments is that she kept singing in the rain it's in Central Park, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, if you think about it, like, one of her most humanizing moments is because she allowed her hair to get wet. And if that doesn't tell you everything about how she generally just sort of floats over it all, which is the perfect description, I I don't know what else can. So, yes, this is basically a really jarring delivery system for the message of this song, which is so judgmental and so just wrapped with that. Despite the revolutions of the 60s, the lyrics of this song are about the people from the 50s who want to keep the hippies down. Like, if you have a baby out of wedlock, that baby will be born in a tenement slum, and everyone will be horrible, and, uh, uh, divert, abstinence, uh, blah, blah. Well, yeah, and, yeah and, and that she has internalized, certainly, that that judgment would be, would have been so much harsher for yes. an African-American woman, and that the assumption is that uh, single African-American moms are, like, picking dresses, like, that are chewed up out of the trash and sending their <laughs> kids to school in it. Like that's, I, I feel like that's not a, um, that's not a centered perspective. Let's no. put it that way. Like um, someone named Herb who was from white plains. And I choose that town name advisedly came up with this narrative of shame and of like the, the little, you know, bastard going to school with one shoe and it's like maybe that was some people's reality but this is definitely not i mean there is some harsh judgment of like what reagan would have called welfare queens basically yes and 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 then there's this chirpy um like trying to be helen ready ish delivery that's like i i refuse to I refuse that for my child, but it's like, really, you should be refusing this entire, this entire story, which is by a white dude and is kind of racist. But I mean, you know, no judgments on Diana for performing the song. It's just like, there's a lot to unpack here. And most of it is pretty fucked up. Yes. Well, it's still a good song though. No, it is. And that's the thing. It is a good song. And, you know, I do think that this is, like I said, one of Diana Ross's most uh, compelling vocals because of the section that I selected. She really does seem to get to some real feeling. And she's explaining to her boyfriend, I can't sleep with you, but I'll always love you. And the fact that that means, I guess, he's never going to see her again. Again, a lot to unpack, but yeah. fun to listen to while we do it. For sure. Let 
let's take a break from talking about single mothers and turn our attention to fathers and daughters as part of our birthday pop chart astrology reading. Yes, that's the time when I tell you your destiny based on the song that was number one the day you were born. And today's birthday lady is Jill, and this reading is sponsored by her good friend Elizabeth down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And Jill, since you are in from the South, I assume, I hope that when you next see Elizabeth, you'll say, bless your heart, girl, because that's what they say where I'm from. Anyway, Jill, you were born on May 5th, 1967, not that you needed me to tell you that, and that means that the song that was number one when you were born was Something Stupid, as recorded by father and daughter team Frank and Nancy Sinatra. Now, I am told by your friend Elizabeth that you're a big fan of the show Gavin and Stacy, and that that song, Something Stupid, did have a funny little feature in an episode of that show as performed by Rob Brydon and Ruth Jones. But today we're talking about the original hit version of the song. And before we go any further, let's take a moment to listen to its croony goodness. I know I stand in line until you think you have the time to spend an evening with me. And if we go someplace to dance, I know that there's a chance you won't be leaving with me. Then afterwards we drop into a quiet little place and have a drink or two. And then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid like I love Ooh, do you feel groovy? Do you enjoy Nancy Sinatra's flat affect? I bet you do. Now, I did say that this is not the original version of the song because it was not. It was originally written and recorded by a folk singer who was related to Van Dyke Parks, a very famous folk musician. But importantly, it was picked up and made into a hit by Frank and Nancy. It was number one in the United States for four weeks, and that was the longest-running number one hit for either father or daughter, who had both had other number one hits prior to teaming up. And one of the things that is, I think, most crucial to remember about this song is that it was teasingly called the incest song at the time, and pretty much ever since, because obviously it is a love song sung by a father and a daughter. But Nancy Sinatra was unbothered when interviewed about it recently, because she said she thought that was very sweet. And basically she's saying, y'all get over it, it's just a cute song. And later, of course, the song became a hit in England. Well, I say of course because I knew this, because I'm a big dork. But anyway, it became a number one hit in England in the 2000s when it was recorded by Robbie Williams and Nicole Kidman, of all people. So what does this mean for you, Jill? Well, I would say, first of all, think about the slight controversy that could have erupted around this song and think instead about the massive hit that it became. And what I would say in terms of your success, because of course we are talking about the destiny of your success, is that means that you should probably take a chance on something that might make you or other people feel uncomfortable, that makes you feel perhaps like it's a little bit dangerous or a little bit unconventional. And this could be in your personal or professional life. Either way, it's up to you to discern. But I think that in taking the risk on something uh, unexpected that might put you a little bit... uh, on edge and make you a little bit uneasy, you're going to find that you are going to get a huge, huge payoff. And also, I think it's worth noting that this is the only number one song in the entire history of the chart that reached number one uh, while being recorded by a father and a daughter. Now, there have been other father-daughter collaborations. Billy Ray and Miley Cyrus had a hit on the country chart. 
uh, for instance, but this is the only one that reached number one on the pop chart. So what that says to me is not that you need to run out and find a family member to record a song with, but think about this project or this relationship or whatever you're thinking about that's going to put you on edge. Think about who you know that is of a different generation that could also help you bring it to fruition. And I think that finding that person will probably help push you to the place you want to go. And uh, I would say that once you've figured that out and you've decided together to take that leap, that you're going to be delighted by the results. After all, it's right there in the pop charts. I'm just the vessel. Well, Jill, I hope you have enjoyed this reading, and I hope you have a wonderful birthday or had. This is a little bit late, but that's not Elizabeth's fault. That is ours, and we do apologize for getting this to you late, but still, happy birthday. And listeners, if you would like to have a pop chart reading of your own, just let us know by emailing us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. And now, back to those single mothers. I think this is the perfect moment, actually, to transition to our next song, uh, because you talk about the attitude of shame that is built around single mothers and all of that. Well, if you fast forward 33 years to 2001, you get the song What Would You Do by City High. This song reached number eight, and it tells the tale of a man who comes across a woman he knew when they were both in seventh grade. Now she is stripping at a bachelor party and he tries to confront her about what he feels are her terrible life choices. And then she responds to say why she's doing what she's doing. And uh, a lot to unpack here too, but first let's listen to the clip. Yes. Girl, you ain't the only one with a baby. That's no excuse to be living all crazy. Then she looked me right square in the eye and said, Every day I wake up hoping to die. She said, Yes, God, I know about pain cuts. Me and my sister ran away so my daddy couldn't rape us. Before I was a teenager, I done been through more. This shit you can't even relate to. What would you do with the songs at So, Sarah, did you know this song before I brought it in today? No, and wow. Like, this is really a this is really a gem, this song. This is a masterpiece. Like, there's so much going on. The rhymes are so tight. And it, like, the first time you listen to it, it really takes you on this journey where you're, like, not sure which narrator you're supposed to be sympathizing with. And, like, yes. does the guy... Does the sort of like male um, initial author, I guess, for lack of a better term, like, are we uh, um, not, it's not a straw man, but like, is, is this sort of like a dialectic or is he sincere in this? And um, you really have to, you know, and it, but it's not didactic. Like the, it's right there in the chorus and it's like, well, what would you do? Like we, we took off from home when we were in middle school so that our daddy couldn't rape us like gross that's horrible and he's like well um why don't you just like get a job where you can type and she's like why don't you go fuck yourself with your shitty judgments because i ran away (laughs) to escape incest and like basically my family broke me before i was even done growing 
And by the way, the kid's father is gone, in and out of lock. He's somewhere smoking rock now, in and out of lockdown. So my family fucked me. The father of this child fucked me. But you know what? I am not going to abandon my child. So exactly, back off. Buster. Yeah, like my kid can eat or I can be this Madonna that you want me to be bite me. And I th- I think it's like I think in the song they say that she's also that she's hooking. Yeah, it's strongly implied yeah. at the very least. Um but yeah, this song is amazing. Like this is how you do a message song that's like it's I mean like sonically it's really good and there's like that break in the middle where they're sort of having an argument um it it like it's paced well it drives along it gets in your head but then it gets in your head in an idea sense right too but i had never heard this song before and i was like i mean i just like that there's a dialogue in the song and then it makes you have this dialogue with yourself about the dialogue and what it's trying to do it's it's masterful well done city high <laughs> I'm, a, I'm gonna be checking your shit out because that i mean it's yeah like calling it a great song doesn't quite doesn't quite get at it when did you first hear this song so this song was oh actually i should say as i thought through the lyrics she's definitely hooking yeah uh to sleep with a man for a little bit of money yeah what else is that so this song was popular just at the tail end of my senior year of college. And okay. as you know, I have been paying attention to the charts many times for many, many years. And I just remember watching it go up the, ch- the chart. And I just thought, what would you do is with a question mark is such an interesting title for a song. I listened to it. I basically loved it right away. And then that summer, I was as a summer job overseeing a program of some college students uh, that were working doing various social justice jobs in the community. And I was the RA, for lack of a better term, of the house that we all lived in. And I got everyone in that summer program to be really into this song too. And then I remember that we all went roller skating one night and we convinced the guy at the roller skating rink, even (laughs) though it was adults night and they were mostly playing songs from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, to play this song. And I never will forget roller skating to this song with a group of my friends and... I just loved it. I I loved the 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 sound of the song and I loved what you said too, which is that I've always loved that you can never decide who you're supposed to side with. There's the song does not resolve the tension. It requires you to resolve the tension. And I think that is really smart and rare. It doesn't tell you who you're supposed to believe, but it also invites you to figure it out for yourself. And yeah. I have always love that and that is i think compared with what we just heard this is a much more successful uh and this isn't even the song that i was talking about when i made this reference but i think this marriage of this like bumping joint and this sort of like socially um like this kind of social hygiene story um is really successful and that's fascinating to me that like they're taking it on with this like sort of fun summertime roller rink sound so yeah yeah, i mean yeah it's it's very cool and uh as a as a writer i just have to like stand back from it and be like that is 
amazing how they did that because it is. Now, I want to tell you, speaking of being amazed by writing, I want to share with you one other story about my relationship to this song. So it's actually interesting. This is the second time in just a few weeks that I've had the occasion to remember the giant Krispy Kreme in Atlanta. You may recall that's where I once saw Amy Ray. That seems low. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. But you may recall from the Indigo Girls episode that I saw Amy Ray there one time. Mm -hmm. But uh, one time I was in that, this was that same summer, I was in line at that Krispy Kreme with my friend, two of them actually, Brooke and John. Brooke, John, and I were waiting in line to get our donuts, and we were had just been listening to this song i'm sure and as like like venus leaping from the mind of zeus or whatever like or was it athena leaping from the thigh of zeus whatever whichever daughter anyway the following parody sprang forth from me in one take at the krispy kreme here we go what would you do if I took your donut? Said I want it back, but I don't give a fuck because I'm hungry. And the only way to feed me is to give me a donut with a little bit of sprinkles or a lemon filled. I'm giving it the praise now. Yes, I am amazed now because it's double glazed now. And for you, this might not be much, but for me, this is what I call lunch. Mm-mm. Well, now we've got our outro music. Thank you. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that's got to be, that's gotta be uh, Athena. That, that that's that's wisdom. That's the goddess of wisdom. Springing fully formed me. from the um, glaze curtain. Was it at that location or Harlem location, where they had the like waterfall of glaze and the donuts would pass through it and you could watch in the window. Oh, oh, this this was in the Atlanta location that I was remembering and where I also saw Amy Ray. It was the the factory line process. Uh-huh. And yes, in in Atlanta, Georgia, on Ponce de Leon, Ponce de Leon Avenue. I really want a lemon-filled uh, donut now, you magnificent bastard. Let's move on the praise so I can now. go have a snack. I sure am. So next, we come to, in a way, a complete reversal of the Supremes and uh, the completion of the cry of authority that is started in the City High song. This is the song Baby Mama by Fantasia Barino. And it was not a hit actually it did not crack the top 40 though it was released as a single but i am interested to talk about it one because well before we get to any of that let's just listen to a clip from fantasia's baby mama yeah let's do that Okay, once again, Sarah, I say, did you know this song before I brought it to us today? I did not. <laughs> Does this, would this, would you, would you like this to be your last encounter with this song? Yes, I would. <laughs> All set. Here, here's the thing. Um, I have never really cared for Fantasia's voice. Like, just aurally, it, it's not, it's not for me. Um, 
I think that she, I mean, actually I've heard her singing like um, her performances in musicals, like on yes, Broadway. Yes, Color Purple. And for whatever reason, that, that sounds better to me. Like her timbre is like deeper and more authoritative. And I don't disagree with what she says in the first uh, verse, which is that it is about time. Baby Mama's had their own song. But I'm not sure this is it. Um, mm-hmm. This should work for me. There's like vintage uh overtones of like, there's like 90s vintage like R&B sound. And there's also like 70s exploitation closing credits kind of thing going on. But the like that support check lyric that we just heard is super awkward and um, very special episode-y. And then there's that endless repetition of the chorus that just feels a little cheap. I mean, that like there are parts here of a good song that would work for me as well and be that marriage of like form and function, I guess, that we heard in the last yes. song. But it's it's not there. It's like it needs another couple drafts for me. Yes. Yes. You. I I mean, I know you couldn't not go into this theme without this song, but I'm wondering if you were if it was like grudging or if you're like, I actually like this song. No, it was grudging. I (laughs) feel like this song is I just felt like it was important because it's the only song I can think of that was so much about the empowerment of single mothers and Fantasia herself uh, at the time was a single mother. She mm-hmm. was very much singing this song as a as a testimony to the things that she herself had been through. And it's like, I totally respect what you're doing here. But like you said, it's just too much of everything. I feel like it's a little, it's like the sandwich with all the meats, which sounds like such a great idea until you realize that, oh my God, I can't enjoy the flavor of any of the meats because they're all together. And it's like, yeah. The chanting and the spelling and oh, the big the ad libs and the yeah. and the the like it's in the like the seven hundred different backing vocalists and but I did think it was interesting that this song existed and I also think it's worth noting that naturally the um, the knee jerk reaction by some critics of the song was that it was wrong to send a message that sexual promiscuity. Uh, was okay and that you you know that basically there were people who and NPR wrote about this at the time that it was wrong for there to be a song that suggested single mothers should feel anything but shame wow. and one thing that I do think makes it uh, makes an interesting counterpoint is that this is the this song even in what would you do there's still the like I'm hoeing and hooking and it sucks but fuck you this is what I have to do right in right. this song Fantasia is just like I am happy I'm a single mother it's, I'm I'm doing well, and yeah, my life is hard, but you know what? I don't care, and I feel like people resented this song for refusing to play into the downtrodden nature we're supposed to ascribe to women in this position. Right. So I res- I respect it for that, but oh my god, it's just not a very good song. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's too bad because like, and I think I respect the fact that like she and her label must have known that this was going to be a major lightning rod for mm-hmm. culture warriors, especially to be like, let's not glorify the, um, 
the uh, denaturing of the American family, which, the, you know, when they say, like, the American family, they mean a lady and a right. man and the two kids and the lady mostly stays home and everyone's pretty pale is what they're really talking about. Um, yes. So I respect uh, if she gave some um, clenched closet case in the, in, you know, congressperson in the Midwest hives by being like, I'm not glorifying anything. I'm telling you my life and refusing to back down off of your idea of my shame white dude then i'm i'm okay with it uh i'm happy it exists and i think it's an important conversation for us all to keep having about how all families don't have to look alike to be legit and happy and productive yeah but i just wish this song were as good as the last one because it's not it's not good right really good well, then, uh, to f- complete the arc, we have a song that I think continues in some way the spirit of Baby Mama in that it is in no way trying to pretend like you should be ashamed to be a single mother, but it's also not pretending like that isn't hard. Uh, it is a song called Rockabye by the British band Clean Bandit. They are an electronic group that specializes in incorporating strings into their music, and none of them are singers, so each of their songs has a new singer. So this Clean Bandit song features both the, uh, I guess, dance hall reggae singer Sean Paul, who has had many hits for many years, and a British singer named Anne Marie. And this song is called Rockabye. It was a top ten hit here in the United States just a few weeks ago, just in April of... 2017 and it was a number one hit in england for like nine weeks earlier this year so let's listen to a clip of current single mom anthem rockabye for all the single moms out there going through frustration clean bandit china ball and marine thing make them air she works the night by the water she's gone astray so far away from my father's daughter she just wants her life for a baby All on her own, no one will come She's got to save him Daily struggle She tells him, ooh, love No one's ever gonna hurt you, love I'm gonna give you all of my love Nobody matters like you Stay up there, She Stay tells up him, there. your life Ain't gonna be nothing like my life Stay. You're gonna grow and have a good life I'm gonna do what I got to Stay up there. do Sarah, for me, um, I love this song. I have found myself singing it to myself for going on three months now. I find it so seductive. Just the various things that happen in the song, the, the, ooh, love, no one's ever gonna hurt you, love. And then there's this part that we don't hear where Sean Paul comes in and he does this kind of silly rap song where he's like you got the bus fee and the school fair but he's like listing all the things that the single mom does and there's just something about his silliness on top of the 
sort of gravitas of the rest of the production of the song that I like. And I feel like if this is the place that we've come to in the single mom pop song, I'm okay with that. I feel like in a way it sort of takes a lot of the best elements of the previous three and continues them forward. And I feel like this is probably going to end up as being one of my favorite singles of 2017. Yeah, I really liked it too. And this is a song that I was talking about when we were speaking about Love Child that I was like, this really shouldn't work. Like that weird sort of <laughs> like um, pipe organ tone Casio that's happening during her chorus mm-hmm. is like, why does this work for me? Like, why am I chair dancing? But I I think that one of the th- one of the truths of the lyric is that this mom is explaining to her child, like, that she's being very soothing and maternal in a you've-just-had-a-bad-dream way, but she's also staking out this child's future in a warrior-parent way. So the fact that um, all moms, but particularly single moms, are obliged to contain all these multitudes while also trying to make a living and tactfully explain, you know, why dad is a shit brick who's not around... (laughs) um that i thought that that was really uh i thought that was really neatly done but not underlined too much and i also wanted to call out that lyric that she works down by the water like i'm sure it was picked for the rhyme with daughter but right there's something about like just in three words you see you can see like it's at some like seasonal pub that's on a pier there's a bunch of yes. people and she's got her waitress apron on and her kid is like upstairs studying and like in the office above the bar and like falling asleep. And right. It's Cause like, she had to bring him to work cause uh-huh, who else is going to look after the kid single mom. But I love, and then Sean Paul is just sort of like, he doesn't exactly belong in this song, but I think without him it would be too treacly. And then he's like, here's just a reminder of the many expenses for which a single mom is responsible <laughs> in Dance Hall Patois. And you're like, the fuck are you doing? Oh yeah, fair enough. Because if it were just her, it would be a little it would be a little um, much. It would be a little not maudlin, but it would be a little just like yeah. Like you you need you need him to to counterbalance and also have that you know, male voice that's like, I concur, and furthermore, and right. just, like, rap about, you know, well, now we need new shoes. I mean, yeah, I, but this is what I mean. Like, the, all of these things together, like, it's greater than the sum of the parts, and not only that, but the sum of the parts should be, like, that's saying almost nothing, because the sum of the parts, when you sort of write them all down, you're like, what is all this stuff... <laughs> Doing what is here. it doing? It's like this weird one-man band thing where there's, there's like a symbol going off and like cannons, and you're like, I don't understand what's happening, but it really works. Well, and you know, together. Yeah, it it's so I I can't even really articulate why that quality works here and doesn't work in the Fantasia song. I mean, they're both they both have about a thousand elements, but for some reason they just all cohere in the the Clean Bandit song in a way that is great. And I also just appreciate thinking about these songs so closely together that. It's like the male narrator of what would you do finally was like, you know what, girl, you are right. Damn. You know what? 
you're right. Do you. And then yeah, how he's just like, like you hey, sing. everybody, it's cool. Yeah, you sing. And then if, if there's like a list of things that you'd like me to just um, take care of in the song, I'll just be here waiting for you to <laughs> point to me. And I, like, yeah, but I just love that the sort of central message is from the mom who's like, all right, this is this is not going to be the most fun all the time, but I got you. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. Well, mothers, fathers, children, sisters, brothers, nephews, nieces out there in podcast land, it's uh, been a real treat talking to you about the journey of single parenthood here in the in pop land. And, uh, you know, if there's anybody else out there who has thought of a song that deserved to be in this theme that we did not mention, please let us know in our social media accounts. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to carry on the conversation. If you want to talk about this episode with us on Facebook, we are at facebook.com backslash mastus.podcast, or you can tweet us at TalkSongs. Keep hollering. If there's more single mothers in song that you want to celebrate, we're ready. And, uh, and Sarah... Uh, if you feel that we should do a survey of the corresponding dads for our Father's Day episode, please let us know. I, I feel like that might be a little too depressing and uh, toxic. <laughs> Seriously. For us, but um, yeah, let us know. If you have a dad-related theme, we'd love to hear about it, or we can just talk about Whitesnake, because it's probably time to do that. Um, quick, <laughs> quick program note. Um, we are off next week, uh, but we look forward, as always, to hearing from you on social media, as Mark said, and to your suggestions, which we always love to hear. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye. Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting, and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. Today's theme song was written by Andrew Byrne, whom I have on good authority is very cute. If you would like to place an ad, request a song, or arrange for a pop chart birthday reading by Mark, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet at us at talksongs, or hit up our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mastass.podcast. And if you like the podcast, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes or the podcast download interface of your choice. And please download the music you hear legally. Until next time, this is Mark. And this is Sarah. And, and this, this is Mark, Mark and Sarah, Sarah talk, talk about, about songs. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.